Hello and welcome to the First Baptist Church of LaGrange. What an honor it is to have you listening to our church broadcast today. We hope that as you listen along, following in your Bible, that you experience the grace and presence of Christ just as strongly as we do every Sunday in our worship service. May God truly bless you as you listen. Well, Pastor had three young men installing insulation in the attic of his church. He sat down to eat lunch with them, and one of them, having noticed that the pastor had spent all morning reading, he asked the pastor, he said, uh, well, do you have a job besides serving as pastor of the church? The pastor replied that no, that was his only employment. Then the man asked him, well, pastor, could you work if you wanted to? People are often confused about what pastors do. People are sometimes also more often confused about why we pay them to do what they do. I mean, after all, we only work one day a week, and we only do it for an hour or two if you're me. So I can just go ahead and put those rumors aside that I can promise you that pastors work more than 40 hours a week, and I would say that we work very hard and we should really be worthy of what we work for. Some of you in the church here today, though, you may have been wondering, or maybe you've even asked the question, why do we pay pastors? I mean, why do we, why do, we do this? Some of you are new to church, and you didn't even know that we paid pastors. Some of you have been in church a long time, and you're like, man, I don't really know why we pay pastors. And so today, I want to tell you that I am incredibly nervous about this text, and I want you to know that I'm not preaching this text because I need a raise or because I don't feel like the church pays us very well. (laughs) It has nothing to do with that. You know that we've been in the book of 1 Corinthians, and we finished chapter 8, and guess where we're at today? Chapter 9. So no, that is the only reason that I'm preaching this text. And so, with awkwardness, (laughs) no other way to say it, with awkwardness, I have to preach on why we pay pastors in the church. That sounds so self-serving, and I know that, but I believe in this book. And so I just have to teach it whether I want to or not. I would much rather skip over chapter 9, but Paul is really going to teach us something there in chapter 9, and I want you to kind of see what it's about. So in context, Paul in chapter 8 was dealing with meat sacrificed to idols. Paul's conclusion was that a Christian had the liberty to eat meat, but it became a sin if the eating of that meat caused a brother who was weak in his conscience to sin. Paul pointed out that the mature brother should set aside his rights in love to help a weaker brother not stumble and to help him grow in the grace of God. So the stronger brother is not to insist upon his rights, but to give up his rights for the sake of unity in the body of Christ. So then in chapter 9, Paul deals with those in the Corinthian church who have difficulty giving up their rights. Some of them probably were saying, well, I'm not going to give up my rights, especially not for any legalistic, narrow-minded Christian like Paul. 
We're too mature. We're too advanced in our knowledge of Christian doctrine to make those kind of adjustments. Perhaps, though, they ask the question, Paul, do you really practice what you preach? I mean, Paul, do you give up your rights? I mean, do you sacrifice your own rights? And so Paul writes them in 1 Corinthians chapter 9 to say, yes, I do give up my rights, and let me show you how you can do that. He demonstrates how he, as a minister of Christ, had the right to receive financial support from the local church, but for the purity of the gospel, he set aside that right, and he took on secular employment to finance his preaching. Now, chapter 8 was all about the limits of Christian liberty and how we're to make sure that love is what we use to know whether we should or should not use our rights. So in chapter 9, verses 1 through 14, Paul says, hey, I have the right to be paid. And then in, in chapter 9, verses 4, 15 through 18, he says, here's the reason why I won't be paid. And then in verses 19 through 27, he says, I would give up any right so that other people can come to know Christ. This morning, we're only going to look at those first, first 14 verses. We're going to talk really about why we should take care of those who take care of us. There'll be six reasons Paul gives us for saying why we should pay ministers. <clears throat> I'm going to ask you to stand for the reading of God's Word. And as I do, I want you to know this, that there are Bibles in the seat pockets kind of around you. And if you don't see one immediately under the seat there, look for it, ask somebody for it, because I'd love for you to put your eyes on the page. And it's going to be starting on page 1031 in those Bibles that you have. It's on page 270 in my Bible. I don't know if it'll be 270, but 1031 in those Bibles in the seat pockets under you. And I think it's on the screen here, page 1031. So if you need to find that to follow along with us, please do. But here is the text this morning for our edification. Paul says, am I not free? Am I not an apostle? Have I not seen Jesus our Lord? Are you not my work in the Lord? If to others I am not an apostle, at least I am to you, for you are the seal of my apostleship in the Lord. My defense to those who examine me is this. Do we not have a right to eat and drink? Do we not have a right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord in Cephas? Or do only Barnabas and I not have a, a right to refrain from working? Who at any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and does not eat the fruit of it? Or who tends a flock and does not use the milk of the flock? I'm not speaking these things according to human judgment, am I? Or does not the law also say these things? For it is written in the law of Moses, you shall not muzzle the ox while he is threshing. God's not concerned about oxen, is he? Or... Is he speaking altogether for our sake? Yes, for our sake it was written, because the plowman ought to plow in hope, and the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. If we sowed spiritual things in you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? If others share the right over you, do we not more? Nevertheless, we do not use this right, but we endure all things so that we will cause no hindrance to the gospel of Christ. Do you not know that those who perform sacred services eat the food of the temple, and those who attend regularly to the altar have their share from the altar? So also the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. You may be seated, and may God bless His Word. Here's the first thing we're going to learn this morning. Again, this is super awkward for me. 
I am way uncomfortable with this, but I'm going to be faithful today anyway. Number one, we pay ministers because of the selected position. We pay ministers because of the selected position. Paul begins there and he says, am I not an apostle? Paul's just discusses liberties and freedoms in Christ and he's saying, do, do I as an apostle of Jesus Christ not have some freedoms and liberties that I've just talked about? And the answer written there, the question is written in such a way that it demands an affirmative answer. Of course he does. After all, every Christian has freedoms and most assuredly the apostles did. But throughout Paul's ministry, some questioned because he would suspend some of his rights, some question if he was really even an apostle. And Paul defends his apostleship and he gives us two reasons. He says there, am I not an apostle? And then he says, have I not seen Jesus our Lord? You need to understand this, that to be an apostle, one of the requirements is that you had to have seen personally with your physical eyes the resurrected Lord. You had to be an eyewitness to the resurrected Christ. We see this when they were choosing to, uh, an apostle to replace Judas in Acts chapter 1, verses 21 through 22. It says these words, Therefore, it is necessary that of the men who have accompanied us all the time, the Lord Jesus went in and out among us, beginning with the baptism of John, and until the day he was taken up from us, one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. And Paul had been a witness of the resurrected Jesus. In Acts chapter 9, verses 1 through 9, Paul was directly met by the Lord Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. So Paul met that qualification. Then Paul gives us the second reason for his apostleship, and that is, he says, are you, meaning the Corinthians, are you not my work in the Lord? In other words, they are this proof of his discipleship. Their faith and their knowledge of Christ came from God calling him to be an apostle to go there and share the gospel with them. They were the seal of his apostleship. What does that word apostle mean? Apostle means one sent under commission. Paul had a special commission from the Lord Jesus. He was sent on mission to establish the church by preaching the gospel. So he had been selected for this position because of the Lord's call in his life. He said that they were the seal of his ministry. Did you see that word seal? Or seal is used on containers of merchandise or letters or, or, or other things to indicate authenticity of what was inside, but also a seal was put over something to prevent the contents from being stolen or to be manipulated or, or to be altered in any way. The seal was the representation of the authority of the one who sent the letter or the merchandise. Paul is saying the Corinthians were his seal, his authority, the authenticity of his apostleship. Corinth, as we've talked about numerous times, was very difficult to minister to. Corinth was a, a tremendously horrific city to minister in. And Paul accomplished establishing a church only because he was an apostle gifted with the apostles gifting, and they're the reason, and his apostleship is a reason that they exist. So he's like, listen, I'm an apostle not only because I saw Jesus, but because look what Jesus has done through me. That's proof of my apostleship. But then he says in verse 3, my defense to those who examine me is this. He says he has a defense. That is the word apologia. We get our English word apology from it. And for us to apologize means that we regret something. But the biblical word and definition of apology means 
to state one's logic in such a way as to communicate and convince others about the rightness of a position or a proposal. Paul is giving them some logical communication to convince them that he really is an apostle. To examine, he says, I, I give this defense to those who examine me. To examine means to investigate or to judge. And people were judging Paul. They were, they were investigating to see whether he really was this apostle. And Paul says, hey, listen, here's my defense to you. Here's, here's my answer to you who are examining me. Verse 4, do we not have a right to eat and drink? Oh, you have to work with me here because Paul is saying, doesn't he have the right or the authority to eat or drink? But, but in context, we understand what he means. In other words, Paul is saying, don't I have the right to at least expect food and drink would be provided to me by the ones whom I am preaching to? The question concerns whether he should be able to eat and drink because the church had provided him with the means to do so. And it's, again, asked in a way that the affirmative is expected. It's like when you catch your kids doing something wrong and you say, did you do that? You're expecting them to say yes, but they often say no. Paul's saying, don't, don't, I, don't I have the right to at least be fed by those to whom I preach to? The answer is yes. Verse 5, do we not have a right to take along a believing wife, even as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas? Paul and other ministers have the right to marry a believing spouse. But again, notice the emphasis is on marrying someone who's been saved by the Lord Jesus. That's the only person that we're supposed to marry if we're a believer. Paul says he has the right to marry just like the other apostles and the brothers of the Lord and Cephas. Let me help you with something here. This teaches that ministers can be married and that there's never a law of celibacy for those in ministry as some religions like the Catholic Church would teach. We know that Cephas or Peter was married. So follow me just for a minute. If by chance we just went along for the sake of argument that Peter was the first pope of the church, which we do not believe, but if by argument we said, we agree with the Catholic Church that Peter was the first pope, the Catholic Church is taught that popes should never be married. Well, then we've got a problem because Cephas, the first pope, was married. So maybe we ought to take our theology from the Bible and not from human tradition, amen. This is why I take the, the, the opportunity to do this to tell you, Paul says, listen, the other apostles... The other ministers were married, and even Cephas was married. Don't I have the right? But it's not really about marriage, see? That's where we could get misled here. He says, don't I have the right to take along a believing spouse? In other words, what Paul is saying is this. Don't I have the right to also bring my wife with me wherever I go at the church's expense? That's what he's saying. In other words, when the, God calls the pastor to the church, you not only just take care of the pastor, you've got to take care of what? His family, amen. That's what he's saying there. This also teaches that Mary had other children. <gasps> Let me just give you something free. I'm not trying to bash anybody, but listen to me. My job here is to make sure that I teach against false doctrine. And I'm taking the opportunity to tell you this. Mary was not a perpetual virgin. How in the world could Mary have other children if they weren't miraculously born as well? Jesus here, Paul says here, he says there in verse 5, he says, do we not have the right to take along a wife as the rest of the apostles and the brothers of the Lord Jesus? 
Jesus had other brothers and sisters, and they came through Mary doing what is obvious to get pregnant, okay? I'm not going to say any more about that. But Mary's not a perpetual virgin, and she shouldn't be worshipped as such. There's only one worth worshiping, and his name is Jesus Christ. So he can get married and bring along with him a wife because the church would pay for it. But sometimes because of the season of life or raising kids, wives can't go along, and that's okay. But when they can, the church should help the spouses go wherever the minister goes. Amen? Verse 6. He says, do only Barnabas and I not have a right to refrain from working? In other words, are only Barnabas and I not allowed to leave our secular employment and give ourselves to full-time ministry? Paul and Barnabas had the right to get their livelihood from the ministry like everybody else, and they didn't have to work jobs on the outside. They worked other jobs not because they were obligated, but because they volunteered to do so. And they may have been doing this because it was very hard at the very beginning of the church. Now, this is not a rule. This is really denying of a right. His point is, is that because they had been selected for this position by the Lord, they had a right to receive financial support from the church. Paul could have taken a wife, but he didn't. He didn't have to work bivocationally, but he did. So here's the point. Today, there are no apostles. I hate to disappoint all those who go by the apostle such and such. Nobody in this current day and age has seen the resurrected Lord Jesus with their own eyes. It just just put to rest all that nonsense. But we do have people who've taken their place as the apostles died out, as the reason that God gifted them in those ways with all those miracles and all those things that passed out. Now we have those who've been taking their place, and that is what? Pastors and evangelists and teachers in the church. The Bible says in Ephesians chapter 4, verses 11 and 12, It says, and he gave some as apostles and some as prophets. That age has passed. And some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints for the work of service to the building up of the body of Christ. 1 Timothy 5, 17 and 18 says, the elders who rule well are to be considered worthy of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he's threshing and the laborer is worthy of his wages. We We pay ministers because of the selected position they have before God. That's why we pay them. Not because I say we should, but because this is what God says. Secondly, we pay ministers because of the specific pattern. Specific pattern. Look in verse 7. Who any time serves as a soldier at his own expense? Who plants a vineyard and doesn't eat the fruit? Who tends a flock and doesn't use the milk? Everyday experience teaches us that a workman deserves or has a right to the reward for his labors. This is the specific pattern. You work, you get paid. You don't work, you don't get paid. So Paul gives three illustrations that reveal the specific pattern. He speaks first of a soldier. No soldier serves at his own expense. He's not expected to equip himself to pay for his own travel, to provide his own meals and his necessities. The minister who goes in a spiritual battle should be given no less than a soldier going into battle. Then he speaks of the vineyard worker. Nobody plants or prunes or protects a vineyard without expecting to be paid. It calls for an investment of time, money, and skill and hard work. The minister is called to be a diligent husband, a vineyard worker in the church, and he shouldn't expect less of a reward. Then he speaks of the shepherd. Shepherding is hard work. It makes for long hours. Sheep have to be fed, led, and rescued from danger, defended from enemies. 
They have to be counted into the fold at night, and their hurts and injuries have to be tended to with care. The minister is no less devoted and has no right to the blessings that come from his efforts. That's the specific pattern. Those who do the work should receive the pay for their work. Then Paul says this, we pay ministers because of the scriptural precedent. The scriptural precedent. Look in verses 8 through 11. He says, listen, I'm not speaking this on my own, am I? I mean, or doesn't the law or a president somewhere else, a scriptural president, also tell us this? For it's written, he says, it's, yeah, it's there. You shall not muzzle the ox while he's threshing. God is not concerned about oxen, is he? Well, I mean, is this talking about oxen? No. Verse 10, he's speaking for our sakes. Because the plowman ought to plow in hope. The thresher to thresh in hope. So he's saying, if we sowed spiritual things among you, is it too much if we reap material things from you? This first part is extremely important. Paul is saying that he's not the one saying this. He's saying the Holy Spirit through him is saying something that has already been said in the Old Testament. So really what Paul is saying is what God has already said. He's going to quote the Old Testament. And St. Augustine helps us here. St. Augustine said this, the New Testament is the Old Testament concealed. And the Old Testament is the New Testament revealed. In other words, they say the same thing. The Old Testament law had already spoken on paying those who ministered. But where, Paul? Where where did the Old Testament say that? Well, Paul quotes this in verse 9. He quotes Deuteronomy 25, verse 4. I'll put it on the screen even though it's in your text so that you can know this is what Paul did. Deuteronomy 25, 4. You shall not muzzle the ox while it's threshing. Paul asked if God cares about oxen. Of course God cares about oxen. But that's not what he was written for. That text was written not only for how we're to treat oxen, but also how we should treat ministers. Verse 10, he says, is, is he talking to us? But the plowman ought to plow in hope, and the thresher to thresh in hope of sharing the crops. In other words, it would be cruel for the farmer to bind the mouth of the ox and prevent him from eating the grain as he works. That oxen has a hope that he's going to get fed as he works. It would be cruel of us to do that to an ox. The ox is the one doing the work. So applied to the minister, the laborer has the right to share in the bounties and blessings. The ox had helped prepare the soil for the sowing. And now that the grain has been harvested, the ox ought to at least be able to eat some of the grain that he helped even raise. Paul had plowed the soil in Corinth and there had been a harvest. It was only right that he enjoyed some of the fruits of his harvest. The same is true for ministers. So he says, in other words, if we receive spiritual blessings, we should share in material blessings. If we have sown spiritual seed among you, is it too much to ask that you take care of us? When we are blessed and helped by someone, simple gratitude and thanksgiving would dictate that we do something in return to show our thanks. If we've been blessed by our spiritual in our spiritual life and our family has been changed or our lives have been enriched, shouldn't we support the pastor or the minister who's helped do those things in our lives? Now, it is far more important, the Scripture teaches, to receive spiritual things than it is to give physical things. There's no dollar value that we can place on anyone doing something spiritual in your life. But you can give something materially. The Bible says in Galatians 6, 6-10, the one who is taught the Word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. Did y'all hear that? The one who's taught the Word is to share all good things with the one who teaches him. 
I could go on, but I won't. God doesn't want the ox to go without, and he doesn't want his ministers to either. Now, I'm not saying this about this church. I'm preaching to a public audience. There are many people who listen to this by way of internet, many people who catch this on the way, going back and forth to their churches on 71 on Sundays. Let me speak to them just for a moment. There are many people in many churches that have this attitude that they say, Lord, you keep him humble and we'll keep him poor. And I want you to know that that should never be the attitude of a church toward their minister. That says more about what they think about God than it does what they think about the minister. And that should never be tolerated. Paul had not only had to address this to the church in Corinth, but he also had to address it to Timothy to teach the church at Ephesus. In other words, this seems to be a problem in churches. So he gives in 1 Timothy 5, he says this, you've heard it before, but the elders who rule well are to be considered of double honor, especially those who work hard at preaching and teaching. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox while he's threshing, and the labor is worthy of his wages. If you're listening to me right now, I need you to know, if you're a part of a team in a church right now, and you're a part of somewhere else, can I just tell you, I want you to sit down with your finance team and try to figure out how you can bless your minister. They are worthy of the wages, the Scripture says. But, but can I tell you this? And I speak for Justin and I and Sarah and the others here. We are thankful that you actually do this here at this church. We are grateful that you take care of us and that you actually take this seriously here at this church. Can I, can I tell you from the bottom of my heart, I'm thankful for the way you minister to us here. You are a faithful church and you deserve to be praised for how well you take care of us. So we pay ministers because of the selected position, the specific pattern. Scriptural present number four, we pay ministers because of the set preference. The set preference. Look there in verse 12. If others share the right over you, do we not more? Paul's saying this. Apparently they had supported others, and that supporting others was a set preference of those other people. In other words, they preferred to be paid rather than go out and do other things. We know that they supported Apollos and Peter, because earlier in the book, that mentions that they came and they took care of them. So as the founding person of the church, Paul, if anyone, should be supported. It was his right, and it was theirs as well. That was the set preference of, the, of what people expected. But Paul says he, he could forego that. He says, nevertheless, I didn't use this right. But I endured all things so that I wouldn't cause hindrance to the gospel. Paul is saying this. As with all our freedoms, we have the ability to forego some of them. Paul says he endured all things. That's in the present tense, by the way. Paul is saying that he continually endured whatever was necessary for him to fulfill the call to reach people with the gospel of Jesus Christ. He didn't want to cause a hindrance to the gospel. Hindrance means to, to something that cuts in. It literally means to, to make an incision in somebody, like in a surgical way, or to cut down a tree. Paul is saying, I don't want to ask for money. Because I don't want some people to think that I'm trying to cut in by, by taking away the funds of the church to do other things. I, I don't want to ask for money because I don't want other people to think that the gospel isn't free. I don't want to, to cut into their idea of thinking that the gospel is free. Paul says, hey, because of that, because we're starting this church in a very pagan area, I don't want people to get the wrong idea about what this is about. But the set pattern, the set preferences is that ministers will be preferred to be prayed and not, not have to do something else. Warren Wiersbe said it this way, we don't have the right to give up our freedom, for that was purchased by Jesus, but we do have the freedom to give up our rights. Some choose not to, but others have the set preference to receive it, and we should honor their preference. 
So then number five today, we learned that we should pay ministers because of the special provision. The special provision, look there in verse 13. Do not know that those who perform the sacred services eat the food of the temple? Those who attend regularly to the altar have their share from the altar? Y'all know this. Hopefully by now you've been raised in church, but the priests and the Levites lived off of the sacrifices and the offerings that were brought to the temple. The ministers of God served daily and nightly at the temple, and they had no other means of support. God did not allow them to have any other thing to do. God did not give them any other kind of land. God did not give them other kind of blessing. They served in the temple day and night, and as people brought their tithes and their offerings to the temple, God made special provision that the priests and the Levites could take some of that and live off of it themselves. The Lord had commanded the special offerings to be brought to the temple, and that's how God made special provision for his people. Listen, Malachi 3.10 is still applicable today. It says, bring the whole tithe in the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Now, let me tell you something. That food, part of it is to make sure that your minister is taken care of. When you don't tithe, guess what happens to those of us who depend on that? See, you may not have known that kids are at stake. Their, their, their livelihood, their, their health and well-being is directly tied to how well people actually give to the church. That may sound like that's being manipulative or condescending. I'm, not, I'm just trying to tell you the importance of why we emphasize giving here because it's not only me that you're taking care of, but you're taking care of other people. We have a responsibility. Any employer has a responsibility to take care of those who work for them, Right? You are the employer, and we're the people who kind of do the job, said to a certain extent. One of the reasons the tithe was so important is that the ministers then could receive the special provision. So listen to me. When you tithe, when you give to the church here, some of your money is actually taken to pay for those of us who work here. That shouldn't be a surprise to you. Here's the point in all this. If the Old Testament ministers under the law were supported by the people to whom they ministered to, should not God's servants in the New Testament who minister under grace also be supported? Lastly, very quickly, we pay ministers because of the Savior's proclamation. Some of you have already checked out. You're like, dude, I didn't want to get all this today. I'm paying my pastor. It's good. I don't know what this has got to do with me. Hang tight. Verse 14. So the Lord directed those who proclaim the gospel to get their living from the gospel. Not only has the Old Testament already spoken on this, but so has Jesus. Paul may be referring to the teachings of Jesus found in Matthew, I mean found in Luke and Matthew. Luke chapter 10, verses 7 and 8, it says this, Stay in that house eating and drinking what they give you, for the laborer is worthy of his wages. Don't keep moving from house to house. Whatever city you enter and they receive you, eat what is set before you. In other words, teaching the principle that when Jesus sent those guys out to do what he had called them to do, it was up to others to provide for them. And then in Matthew 10, 10, he says, hey, when you go out there, don't take a bag for your journey or even two coats or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worthy of his support. That could be what Paul is referring to when he says the Lord has already taught on this. But Jesus says those who preach the gospel are to receive what they need to make a living from the gospel. In other words, those who preach to people who hear the gospel are to receive financial support from the people to whom they preach. The labor is worthy of his hire. The church should not neglect this. 
And one of the things that Paul wants to make clear is this. Jesus commands the church to support its ministers, but it does not command the minister to accept that support. I could choose not to be paid here. I pray that there comes a day in time when I do not have to receive that, that I can give all my money back to the church. I want to be that. But he can, for, for love's sake, for the other's sake, for any other reason, forsake his, his right to receive support. Not everybody can do that. But why does Paul refuse? We're going to look at that next week. Why would Paul say he didn't want to do that? But for now, we pay ministers because of the selected position, the specific pattern, the scriptural precedence, the set preference, the special provision, and the Savior's proclamation. I remember reading a story about three small boys that were bragging about their dads. The first boy said, my dad writes a few short lines on a paper. He calls it a poem. He sends it away, and he gets $25 for it. The next little boy said, well, hey, my dad, he makes dots on a paper. He calls it a song. He sends it away, and he gets $100 for it. Well, that's nothing, said the third little boy. My dad writes a sermon on sheets of paper. He gets up in the pulpit, delivers the sermon, and it takes four men to bring him all the money. Again, as I stated in the beginning, this is not what this has been about. I'm not preaching so that you would put more money in so that you could bring it to me. That is not what I'm doing. God knows as I'm standing here, I'm telling you the truth. Maybe you're listening to this and you go to another church. Let me just share it with you this way. Wayne Grudem says in his book, he says this. He says, Scripture doesn't caution us against paying ministers too much. But it does tell us that we shouldn't pay them too little. Is your real church really taking care of those who are taking care of you? That, that could be said broadly to anyone listening to me. I believe the Lord desires for pastors to be blessed. So here's what I would say to you. Let me ask you this and help you do the book today. Here's where it gets real. I'm not asking you about paying me. I'm asking you this question. Is your giving to this church pleasing to the Lord? That's my question. Take me out of it. But is your giving to this church pleasing to the Lord? And here's a second question. Today, this afternoon, this week, how can you be a blessing to someone who's been a blessing to you? How can you bless somebody else who's taught you the Word of God? Maybe it's a Sunday school teacher. Maybe it was... A pastor in the past. Maybe, maybe it's just a friend of yours that speaks things into your life about the kingdom of God. How can you then be a blessing to those who've been such a blessing to you? That, that's a great way for you to take this home and apply this. But lastly, as the band makes their way up here, Paul says that those who preach the gospel should make a living by the gospel. Well, that begs the question, what is the gospel? You know the word gospel is a word that literally means good news? What is the good news then? Well, I've got to tell you the bad news so you can understand the good news. Here's the bad news. You and I were created by God to live in a loving relationship with Him. We're supposed to be that way. Walk with Him, talk with Him, and enjoy Him forever. But something happened. God told man that he shouldn't eat of a tree that he put in the garden. And He told him, listen, if you eat of this tree... The day that you eat of it, the day you shall die. And dying meant that they would die physically, 
but they would also die spiritually because they couldn't get back into where God was because God prohibited that. He put two angels there. They, they couldn't get back in. So they were dead spiritually because they couldn't get to where God was, but they would die physically because the other tree was a tree of life. So they couldn't get back in to eat of that tree, so now they were going to die. And, and here's the truth. The Scripture says that all of us have done what Adam and Eve have done. We've all disobeyed God. And as a result, the Scripture also says that the wages of that is death. That's the bad news. We're all separated from God, and we're all going to die physically. That's the bad news. But the good news of the Gospel is this, that God told Adam and Eve after they did that, that one is coming who's going to fix that. One is coming who's going to make that right. So at Christmas, there's this one born in the city of David, and behold, he's a Savior who is the Lord. Savior means to save. To save from what? To save from the wages of death. So then Jesus did what? Jesus went to a cross, and Jesus Christ did not disobey God. Jesus Christ obeyed God fully and completely, and he went to a cross to die on a cross for our sins. Why? Because God so loved us that he gave his only begotten son that if you and I would believe in him, we would not perish but have everlasting life. Now, here's the thing. Jesus says that he is the way, he is the truth, and he is life, and no one comes to the Father but through him. Jesus said, if you believe in me, you will have eternal life. So guess what Jesus fixes? Jesus is the one who now brings us back to the Father, which was our first problem. And Jesus is also the one who gives us life, which was our second problem. So Jesus Christ is the good news we've been looking for. So then what do we do? We just receive that by faith. We just say, Lord God, I know that I have sinned against you. You know that. And you say, Jesus, I'm willing to turn from my sin, and I'm willing to trust you to save me. Would you have mercy on me? Would you forgive me? Would you come into my life and make me new, make me right with the Father, and give me that eternal life? And I promise you, if you pray that with your heart, the Lord Jesus will save you, because the Bible says anyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So I wonder if you'd stand to your feet today as we pray. Thank mm-hmm. you.